0: You've listened to part one with Steve Crawford on building a budget that makes sense. Are you ready for part two? Join me as we discuss budgeting attributes and how behavioral finance plays a huge role in how you relate to money. Residency can be such a letdown when it comes to building your financial foundation, but it truly doesn't have to be that way. If you're a physician wanting to take control over your financial future and take back the freedom you deserve, come hang out with this money nerd. No long hours or sleepless nights, just you, me, and the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Thank you again for joining us. I have Steve Crawford here, Senior Wealth Advisor at Experience Wealth, and him and I are talking on the second part of our conversation, and he had such great insight about how to go about building a budget that actually makes sense. So, in this second part, we're going to talk more about the four stages of budgeting, goal setting, and the budgeting attributes that help you understand and actually give you control over your spending, your emotions, and the system behind establishing the right spending habits. So, I can't wait for you to listen to the remainder of the show. Let's get into the second half of the interview. You mentioned before that there was four stages of budgeting, and can you just kind of quickly recap what those were for us?
1: Thanks, mate. I get a little bit distracted. So we've gone uh, acceptance, without a budget, I will never truly be the master of my own money destiny, and the flip side is with it. I will consciously control all of my spending and savings decisions, and I will not be stressed so much about my money. Next bit is awareness. What does it cost to be me, or what does it cost to be us, and then what does it cost for us to have a life? And once you know those, so typically the time frame for people to do this, acceptance is like flick a switch thing. And you're right, you know, you use resolutions is when everybody tries to do it, but we hate using that as a as a cycle because it's a time, a point in time that somebody else has given to you. Mm-hmm. If you give yourself a reason to accept the budgets are a good thing, then you're far more likely to stick to it. Awareness typically takes about three months. So you want to see what it costs to be you over a given three-month cycle because that allows you to pick up your utility bills and your non-frequent spending and expense amounts. The next one is improvement, which is where the reporting bit kicks in. right? Because improvement is, well, if this is what it costs to be and really in your awareness phase, especially what we're doing with our clients, we're deliberately overestimating their expenses, deliberately underestimating their savings figure because we're just trying to get I don't know what the doctors call it, like a a benchmark or baseline number that you're trying to, Mm to hit that is reasonable, but something you can definitely hit, right? Improvement is narrowing the gap between what I said I wanted to do and what I actually did so that the numbers start to become predictable. Instead of you looking through the rear vision mirror or the rear view, you're actually now starting to look through the windscreen of where you're going because Because you've got your numbers as a really good reflection of what you can handle over a cycle, 3 months, 6 months, 9 months, 12 months, then they start to become far more predictable and predictable means you are within 1% or 2% of your target each cycle. When that happens, what happens inside the person that's at the end of that budget or that owns the budget is they start to believe that they can do it. And when they start to believe that they can do it because they've seen the results on themselves, mm-hmm. they don't feel like the best thing when we know our clients have made it is when they start to say things like, we don't actually feel like we're living to a budget anymore. This is just the way we spend money now. And that's when you know you've you've hit that final stage, which is performance. Because performance doesn't automatically mean saving, you know, some of our clients in the last financial year saved 40% of their income. And they would say they performed, and some of our clients saved. 15, 16% of their income. And they would say that they're in a performance mode because it, everything's relative to what they're able to achieve. Performance is about I am now doing what I set out to do. I'm earning money. I'm spending money. I'm not spending all of it. I've set up a program. I know what my numbers are that I've given myself. I'm allocating it into my bank accounts, hopefully automatically, each pay cycle. I'm spending it the right way. I'm consciously making spending decisions and I'm checking in on myself to see how I'm going and everything's okay. And if I'm over, I adjust. And if I'm under, I either bank that for later or I might spend a little bit more. And then I rinse and repeat and I go and get on with my day job. That's when you know you've hit it.
0: Yeah. And you know to put this into, I think, perspective and to look at where you are within your peer group, I've actually worked with 63 physician families that I've had run through Data Points, which is we just had Sarah Falaw on the show last month talking about the makeup of a physician millionaire and how to become one. And that was an amazing show. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that because it's, it's a great one. But her company Data Points takes what was in The Millionaire Next Door and of course the next Millionaire Next Door, which was her book that she did with her father, and break out a bunch of key attributes. And one of them, to give you guys an example, and to put this a little relative of the frame of mind that the average physician family is in, is there's something called budgeting attitudes, and they break it into three different pieces. The first one is budgeting as restrictive, and in the way that this is written is you value freedom in spending and consumption, and you view budgeting as being frugal, as boring, and it's constrictive. The second one is balanced view of budgeting, which is you appear to have a balanced consumption In some instances, you prefer to have great freedom to spend, and in others, you value being frugal. And the last one is budgeting as freedom. You tend to spend well below your means, and frugality as a virtue, and this would really help you accumulate wealth more quickly than your peers. As the 63 families that have gone through this, they really tend to be in the balanced view of budgeting, which was the instance of looking at you prefer to have freedom, and you'd like to spend what you're spending, but you do value it on one side. So I think when we talk about this behavioral piece and understanding that you actually have to put emotion behind this, you actually really have to want to do it. No matter what the system is, you're not likely to achieve that if you're not really into it. I think, Steve, you're saying some really great stuff here. And I think being able to understand that when you put your mind to something, like you did to get through med school, to get through residency or fellowship, if you did that, to become an attendee, now to excel in your field, Like you put your mind to it, you were able to do it. And I think this is extremely easy compared to the things that you've really gone through. But it's not falling prey to what other people think and to really put yourself first, you and your family, if you're married or have kids, just to understand why are you doing this? What is important? And Steve, I'm curious on your thought here. I actually, when I work with clients, sometimes it comes up that, they don't have the ability to save something. Maybe they're, they fall in that 2% category where they're barely making IRA contributions or maybe they haven't and they're just not saving anything. I go through with them and we kind of visualize out the spending. Now I know we've talked about a lot of this already kind of in the show of how they're breaking things out and, and what they're looking at, but one of the things that I do is I say, okay, look, these are the expenses we just couldn't move. Whether it's rent or a mortgage, Student debt payments, insurance, you know, disability or term, you know, it could be auto insurance, these are things we can't move. Maybe we can lower them and we can optimize them, but I'm not worried about it then. I'm saying they're immovable. These are things we can't touch yet. How much of your income coming in versus the stuff we truly can't touch? Because I look at fixed costs, well, someone tells me a nanny is fixed costs. Well, maybe. Is there daycare that they could go to instead? Are you at stay at home parents and the nanny is a break? Is the gym membership truly fixed? Is your cell phone truly fixed? Like, yes, but at the same time and argue and push back and say, no, like you could opt not to have a cell phone. You could opt not to have a gym membership. Now I think life would kind of stink without a cell phone, especially in this day and age. But I think that's something that Just when you truly categorize the things that you can't live without, you can't live without electricity, you can't live without a roof over your head, that is truly fixed. So I break those things out and then we look at what's left. We can add back in some of the traditional fixed costs, right? Your cell phone, you know, if the nanny is truly important, obviously, you know, or au pair or whatever it is, add that back in. And then I say, now what do you want to save for? What are those big goals that you're really interested in putting together, whether it's travel or a home or or whatever it might be and say, okay, up to 20% of your savings is put here. This is how it would look. And now let's go with the money that's left over. And this is your variable column. And what would you like to add back in that brings you the most happiness? How can we align your spending with happiness? And so I have them go through and do it. And sometimes, oftentimes things kind of fall off. And the stuff that falls off, I say, looking at this, does this bring you more happiness than anything you've included on? And we'll go through the fixed. We'll go through the variable. We'll go through the pay yourself first kind of bucket. And if it's no, then it doesn't make the cut. And this I found was a lot easier way of helping them go through and understand when you might be spending too much, how to at least take that first step and maybe 20% is too much. Maybe it needs to be 10 and you build up to 20 right? We don't want a a fad diet type thing or a fad budgeting issue. And then all of a sudden you blow it up. But how do you work through that, Steve, with people that maybe are spending the entire amount and then they're kind of waking up and going, you know what, we really need to do something. How do we go about that? Maybe
1: I need to come to your school of getting some, what is it? uh, Emotional or EQ or (laughs) maybe get more bedside manner. I'm way harsher and I think I'm quite blunt in the way that I do it. At the end of the day, for us, the numbers don't lie, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I think you do need to have a balance. And and it, again, it's got to be time and place and it's also understanding and being respectful of the person that you're helping. For some of my clients, and I've got doctors that earn really, really good seven-figure numbers. Mm-hmm. And like sometimes, you got to have a conversation with them that is... Your greatest ability for you to hit your savings target, apart from you knowing and giving yourselves an accountability and, and trying to stick to that, really, as a doctor, it's your earning capacity. And so you might be spending like you're earning two fifty, but if you're still on sixty, that just doesn't fit. So you can be as optimistic and go through it as you want, but if you're, you know, uh, what is it, champagne budget on a on a beer lifestyle, if you can't afford that stuff yet, then move out and go and move back in with mom and dad, rent an extra room out, or you gotta find a way to to bring it back because it's one of two things. They're either copping more expenses that they don't need, or and then you can help them work through that stuff. Or it is they refuse to budge on the expenses side, but the earnings isn't high enough. And so we said, well look, get the earnings in order. And for us it's more typically that they're not a two income producing family that's mm. typically the issue as opposed to the individuals individuals tend to get that you know if they're gonna they're in charge of their own numbers and they can control it and they've got more flexibility but typically where what we find with our professionals is it's the second phase of the family they've grown into the the lifestyle the ideology of the picket fence and you know mom or dad someone stays home and the other one goes and works and but then they spend like they're a two- income family but they earn like a one- income family and so we've have the conversation that says, well, you can keep all this stuff, but you got to go back to work. At the end of the day, the numbers don't lie. You can squeeze a blood out of a stone so far, but you'll get to a point of it's not worth it anymore. So that's why I think with the benchmarking stuff into the reporting that you talked about with the 63 families, and I love the idea that everybody sits in the middle. We, we're huge fans of the Goldilocks concept. If you don't know, don't go too big, don't go too small, go just right. Stay in the middle, right? And the problem with budgeting... And when it comes to the reporting side and the feedback that they're going, if they've never done this before and they do it by themselves and and there's nothing wrong with doing it by yourself, right? At the end of the day, obviously, you and I, Ryan, will always advocate the value of a coach to help them get the most out of the program. But if they're going to do it themselves, that's cool. But you've got to have a set of numbers apart from your own because if you set ridiculously unrealistic budgets and you get your reporting in on how you're going it's going to look like you suck because you've failed your own benchmark that you set but your benchmark might be completely unrealistic compared to where you're at so you said yes we talk about 20% what the average client of ours saves but in the first quarter we're not letting people set themselves a 20% savings target we're aiming at somewhere between 10 and 15 or relative and what they're capable of doing and we're using them. That's why we benchmark and we produce all those numbers so that they can look at what they've done compared to their numbers, but more importantly, what the average single couple family's done. So, getting a benchmark number to look at, you know, again, they're doctors. You guys would do this. You would sit there with your clients or your patients and they would set themselves a target. Let's say it's cholesterol, they're trying to get down. But if they're starting at, I don't know, what's super high, 15s or something. And you're going, oh, well, your target, what's your target? I want to get it down to five. Great. And if that's the only thing you measure off and they're not capable of getting it down to five, I've seen it with the blood tests all the time. They have those little parentheses and within this range, getting benchmark data and having something else to compare it against gives you a range and that way you know if you fall inside the range, you're going okay, even if you've slightly missed your number. But if you don't have a range, if you just have one number, and that's all you compare it against, but you have no concept of whether that number is fair and reasonable compared to everybody else that looks like you, then you can end up kicking your own backside for missing your target. But your target could have been twice as aggressive as it should have been in the first place.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I can tell you, so one of the cool parts is is now that I've met Steve and I'm actually working through some of the stuff that Steve's been put together and, and going through, a little bit of his training so I can become, you know, just more familiar and just a, a better planner, honestly, to help people. But what I'm actually trying to do, and one of the biggest takeaways I've taken so far from you, Steve, is this peer group assessment. And while I've done this through data points and understanding from a personality trait concept, I have not done this from a budgeting perspective or a cash flow perspective. So I can tell you that Casey and I are, are now working on implementing some of this stuff and what I will be doing is once we get some of this data put together I will be publishing inside of our community which you could join at slash community and giving people what a benchmark could be for a single or for married and that way you at least have some reference of what it is I tend to use a very general number here but I'm hoping that we can break this down further as as we continue to work through this with all of the physician families that we help is fixed expenses should be 50% or less of your take-home pay. Variable expenses should be 25% or less of your take-home pay. And you really should be targeting saving 25% or more of your take-home pay. And the one thing I want to highlight here is I'm saying take-home pay. So it doesn't matter that you put money in your 401k. You should be doing that. The reason is because all of you listening had a late start in life with respects to savings and investing whether you did a three-year residency or you went further and did another fellowship or not, all of your friends that weren't physicians in college, they all got to start working and saving at 22. Whereas you guys had to work through four years of med school, at least three years of residency, maybe even three more years of fellowship. And I know it does change, but let's just kind of go with it. You know, you're coming out and you're 32, 31 and just getting you know, attending pay and just starting to really save. And then you've got a ton of debt behind it. So you do start behind those people, which is why I look at it and say, you you need to be saving 25% or more. And Steve, I think the one of the big differences that we have here with this group listening versus your normal typical client is, is not an income issue. It's really a spending issue. It's the expenses just get ballooned way too fast and they go out of control really early because There's so much delayed gratification through college and med school and residency that physicians and and myself and my wife included, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to go through this and see other friends, you know, be able to buy and do different things. And, you know, you're sitting here going along. And I remember Taylor's working every fourth night in the hospital. She was barely making any money. And, you know, we've always been the type to live off one salary and save the other, but- it was still really tough to go through and see this and then finally the big paychecks start coming in and you know you're looking at you and I'm like man this is great but then you forget like oh student debt's going to kick in and oh I probably should buy a new car because it's you know it's it's old and beat up and just priorities and I can't thank you enough Steve for being on and talking through a lot of this because the behavioral piece is so strong it's what really makes this work and I think if you guys are taking anything out of out of the show with Steve is you have to be committed to doing it. The implementation stuff, you guys got this. Like It's not rocket science. You're all extremely smart. You can do this. It's wanting to do it. So Steve, thank you for being on the show. People that want to find out what you're doing, what you're up to, tell us a little bit about that. I do have some advisors that listen to the show. So feel free to talk about uh, the advice movement, just really what you're up to.
1: Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me on the show. You can tell budgeting, this whole spending savings, helping people get better with their money that they're earning is like a passion of mine and it's pretty much what we've built our whole business on. So whenever anybody asks me to come in and have a chat, I'm always excited. And when you and I bumped into each other in St. Louis, I think we pretty much started booking each other into our own respective podcasts Mm -hmm. straight away. So it was good to get on. Yeah, the Experienced whilst well, so our financial planning firm down under, and then I've been teaching financial advisors how to do this probably for about five or six years, and I think we're up over. With the Americans included, with you lot, it's so exciting to get out to America and start teaching you guys this because it's something that we've sort of taken for granted as part of the process down under, but I know it's still quite new in the US, but I think we're north of like five or six hundred planners that I've taught how to do this now it's amazing. and it's definitely something that for us it's a cornerstone like if you don't understand your numbers I don't know how you can make decisions around what you can and can't do so anything we can do to support um, for advisors check out the theadvicemovement.com that's where mine and, and all the coaches that work with me all of their courses are and Ryan hey if you need any uh, we can give some templates a template budget or maybe a template bank account structure or something for any of your listeners if they want that that'd be um, amazing and- we can
0: we can drop those in the Community uh, group page on Facebook. And again, you can join it at slash community. That'd be amazing, Steve, if we could put that in there.
1: Nice. But I'll, uh, so I'll fly. Uh, I created a US version that I'm doing for the US planners as well, which I know you might have as well. So I'll send that through to you and I'll, I'll give you like a, a couple of template banking structures that you can chuck up in the group as well. And yeah, just don't beat yourselves up, right? At the end of the day, I think this is the thing with budgeting. is... We set our, especially my, and we got a lot of professional clients as well, doctors, lawyers, executives, and they're performance driven people. And they're used to winning at what they do. And so when they set themselves a number to hit subconsciously or otherwise, and they miss it, they tend to not want to talk about that because we don't talk about our losses very, very well, especially blokes. Women are so much better at this and just owning their shit. And if they've fallen over going, yeah, I got a heap of credit card debt, but I'm digging myself out of it. Guys are terrible at it, right? So the last thing I'd say is it's a long-term thing. Don't throw everything out because you fall over once. Get back up and plan for the mistake. Now, you were talking about it earlier, Ryan, with the the spending stuff, especially with our executives. We have guilt-free accounts or guilt-free budgets, the a, a guilt-free amount that's allocated in the budget, and it goes into a guilt-free account. It's a standalone bank account for a lot of them that has... It's not linked to anything. It's like the emergency spending fund because they're going to get invited to. Shit. Someone wants to go skiing, and oh, and, and you, you know, we know how work works. Sometimes the opportunity is there and you got to take it. So plan for the fact that you're going to overspend, chuck money into a separate bucket, don't touch it, leave it there. In case of emergency and you've been invited to, I don't know, what is it, Whistler or one of the. Skiing resort. That's
0: all the guys. I think that they would say it in Park City.
1: <laughs> there you go. Let's plan on the fact that you're going to be good enough to get an invite to go and hang out in Park City, and so don't go into debt to do that. Go and use your credit that you've built up for yourself.
0: It's amazing having. I can hear everyone now being like, "It's not Park City. It's this. It's that." There's a lot of elite places, but Steve, you know, thank you so much for being on. It's so fun to chat with someone. Just kind of nerd out, and yeah, I think we got into some of the numbers, but. Overall, I think the real takeaway was it's all about behaviors and just set yourself up for success. Don't overextend. I love it, Steve. Thank you so much. Again, it's an honor to talk with you and to have you on the show.
1: Awesome. Thanks for having me on, Ron.
0: In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the site ub3.com titled, your new resolution, stick to your resolutions. In it, the author who I actually just learned is a physician in Southern California discusses her new year's resolutions and offers us as readers some helpful tips and advice that I thought would be really great to share in our journal club. As many of you have start or maybe created your new year's resolutions, a good majority of you will have experienced some sort of setback or flat out just gave up on those resolutions. If any of those are financial resolutions, I want you all to know that the Financial Residency Community is here to help you stay on the right path. Make sure to join us at financialresidency.com slash community and let us know what your resolutions are so we can help you stay the course. So in this article, the author breaks first with a fact or two about How those that might fail at completing your New Year's resolutions. And I quote, "Sadly, despite all the wants, desires, and exclamations, very little will actually come to fruition. The majority of people abandon these changes they make by February. Ouch. That's kind of bad, by February. I was hoping it was a lot longer. Okay. So anyway, change is slow in all aspects of life. So be patient. Instant gratification is also instantly gone. If you want something to last, then it will take time. So what do we do? And according to the author, she says, let's start small. Developing a habit requires that you continue to do something for at least 12 days. So instead of telling yourself you're going to go to the gym every day for a month, go to the gym every day for 12 days. Rather than cooking every day, cook for 12 days or whatever pattern you choose to abide by. Just start small. Let yourself get used to doing something different. If what you initially plan doesn't work, then after the first 12 days are up, use the next 12 days to try something different. Allow yourself to really develop a habit that actually works for you and is sustainable. I think that was brilliant, by the way. The first 12 days are up, then try something new for 12 more days. Because if 12 days actually are what it takes to develop a habit, this is pure gold right there. And, and what else I really like about this article is I too agree to start small, whether it's a new year's resolution or a goal. In fact, I don't actually set new year's resolutions. I do set goals for myself personally and professionally. And one of my goals is to actually continue to be motivated to provide all of us a high quality podcast. And I hope to hit and exceed that goal, fingers crossed this year. So make sure to actually keep my feet to the fire if you ever sense anything is off. But well, what I love is to see articles that inspire hope and change for the better. In my experience, I see so many start off strong to only get sidetracked by shiny object syndrome or to get discouraged uh, that the change isn't instant. It's like what I've said about losing weight. If I wanted to lose 48 pounds this year, which let's be real, I do need to lose some weight instead of taking on that one big goal and then worrying about, oh my gosh, I only lost a pound or two and that I'm so far away from my goal of 48, I need to break it down into smaller and smaller goals. Instead of 48 in a year, how about 24 in six months? Or 12 pounds in a quarter? Or how about four pounds in a month? Can I lose four pounds in a month? Heck yes, I can. I can do that, and so can you if that's your goal. Or whatever your goal is, Like you can do it. Just make sure that you join us at financialresidency.com community, and let's hold all of ourselves accountable. We can do it. So UB3, thank you so much for an excellent article. I loved it, inspired a lot of great thoughts for myself and hopefully for others. So I encourage you guys to all check it out and I'll link to this one in the show notes. Okay, those were an awesome two shows with Steve. So let's do a recap. I'd say a quick recap, but it's not gonna be that quick with two shows with such high quality, great content from Steve. Steve was crazy informative on the benefits of budgeting. And most of you are just finishing residency or have just finished and you've experienced that increase in your salary. And what Steve was saying was you should start planning your cash flow because it helps you know what's coming in, what's going out and what's building up in the background to help you, and as he put it, remove the shackles of debt and worry. I won't even try to do it in his accent because it was not going to happen. Anyway, he talked about Budgets being a target that you want to hit. And more bluntly, he said, put a bloody target next to a budget and just try to hit it. And if you don't have a budget, you're shooting blindly. And honestly, subconsciously, you're pretty much setting yourself up for failure. Savings is a huge part of hitting your financial goals because when you don't have a budget and you're not saving, there's no internal accountability to stop you from making spending decisions that are impacting your life now and honestly into the future. Uh, Steve also mentioned and he talked about from an early age how we're conditioned with a bad view and a bad development of financial habits because lots of parents just dish out money with little effort uh, to actually earn that money. And there has to be a behavioral finance piece associated with some type of emotion to the dollars that we have in our hands. We do that by understanding human behavior and taking a step back to evaluate how we're being influenced against sound spending decisions. Comparing to his client demographic, which is very different than, than ours, the average Aussie leads the world in sucking in savings, according to Steve. Now, those are his world, not mine. Don't get upset, Aussies. But he tells them to target about 70% of their income. But at Physician Well Services, we try to shoot our, our clients to hit a, a 25% of their take-home pay. And I, I believe this discrepancy is likely due to Uh, larger physician salaries here that we're working with compared to the salaries that Steve's clientele has. Steve talks about the four stages of budgeting, which I think are brilliant. Acceptance, awareness, improvement, and ultimately performance. The best thing about budgeting is when you don't feel like you're budgeting anymore, but when you get to that point, you have to go through the other stages. Acceptance is the only one that you can really do on your own, according to Steve. And at the end of the day, If you don't want to have any accountability of how you're spending your dollars, you're never going to get where you want to go. You can only control your conscious choices. I thought that was well said by Steve. Stage two, awareness, is the cost to live and the cost to have a life. You can only save savable dollars. I think that was another brilliant quote by Steve. You're going to have expenses that you have like rent, utilities, transportation, education, banking, all that good stuff. You identify where your living costs are, and then what's available for savings is what you save. I, I tend to look at it actually a little bit different. I actually think that paying yourself first, that you know, the 25% I just referenced, then living off the rest of it in a way that makes you happiest. So I would identify savings first, not second. The third stage is improvement. And this is narrowing the gap between doing what you say you're going to do. And these are really predictable targets. And as Steve says, if you have a strong reason to save, you should break it up over a 12-month target, establish your goal, convert this into a percentage, and incorporate it into your budget. These numbers keep you accountable to your goal and help improve the entire situation. It's that pay yourself first is, is that concept that helps you Work backwards from a goal by breaking it down into your savings targets into those manageable chunks. Once you know what those targets are, the better off you are at keeping promises to yourself. The fourth stage is performance. And this is when you begin working on your plan, consciously making spending decisions and checking in on yourself. This is when you know you've hit it or you've made it. Now onto the banking structure. Steve and I talked about having three different types of accounts or reasons for accounts and he called those spending storage and savings if you don't look at your banking structure you're more likely to actually fail in the implementation of your budget if you know what your spending is then these things can become automated and I am a huge fan of automation and keeping it simple when you look at the structure of your bank accounts Steve also talked about gaining feedback as a check-in metric to see if you need to adjust your path, actually. We discussed understanding the reporting side is a critical component in the process of building a successful budget and a saving strategy. We talked through instances where some people don't have anything to save. And when you identify that the expenses you can't move, you know, your fixed expenses, then you can actually start looking at the other expenses to see if they're truly fixed. Once you break these things out, you can start working through them and building goals attached to those. Now that you've listened to both parts of this interview, let's all work on establishing a budget that actually works. I know you've got it in you to do it. And if you need some assistance, come join us at financialresidency.com community. A quick community update. Don't forget to check out the Money Care Specialist podcast, which is the newest podcast I just launched. You can listen to it anywhere that you're listening this podcast right now. Just search for Money Care Specialists and click subscribe. I am so grateful because this podcast is all about cash flow and budgets, financial goals, investments, all things money and nerdy, and the details that make those things worth pursuing in life. While these topics aren't the sexiest, you're here and that's what matters. We work hard at delivering great information in this podcast, but here's the catch. I don't know anything about you or what your financial needs are. So consult your attorney, CPA, or reach out to me, a fee-only financial planner, before taking any action or making any decisions affecting your hard-earned stash. Next week, we have a great show planned with a special guest, Position on Fire is back on the show, and it turned out to be another excellent show that you're not going to want to miss. Until next time, cheers.